Uh, I was working on Good Day, starting to drink more than I should. By the time I got to Roseville, I knew that I shouldn't be driving. I pulled over and suddenly my car was illuminated. Oh, Roseville PD. I'm not now, nor have I ever been a very confident person. And I wish I would have had someone or something giving me some strength and confidence. Skied all the way into a, a, the, the parking lot and ran into a Winnebago. Oh. Compound fracture of my leg, half body cast. When you're all in the same room, aiming towards doing something good. There's a healing. I pitched the idea, what if I do my show for a month, living 24 hours a day on a highway billboard? This is the first time I ever have to retake an intro. That's awesome though, because it's short attention span theater and no one can remember Taking it from yeah. the top? Yeah. All right. You got this. Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Vibe with Humanity podcast, a show intended on spreading positivity and kindness. I'm your host, Trevor. Today's guest is Mark S. Allen. Mark is a seven-time Emmy-winning TV and movie producer. He is from West Texas, where he started in radio and transitioned to television on shows like Comedy Central's Short Attention Span Theater and Mark at the Movies. Mark worked for 20 years on Good Day Sacramento as an entertainment anchor and a film critic where he became a household name. He is currently on ABC 10, and he is a feature film producer with eight major films under his belt, including the acclaimed Apparition and Notorious Nick. Mark is a philanthropist bent on helping children's charities and children's hospitals where he's been named by the Children's Miracle Network as Person of the Year. There are way too many accolades and fun facts and cool things to go over with Mark, but one of them is he is quite the entrepreneur with ownership stakes in several companies, including Smartax, where you literally drink alcohol and throw axes. Well, I have no technically, <laughs> I don't drink the alcohol, yeah, but that's true. I'll throw the axes. <laughs> I have no idea how you get insurance for that in 2024, but it's a lot of fun and I'm very impressed. So, Mark, this is round two. The hey, last just time one of us did, did the mute button or something. So I'm really glad you're here. I'm happy to hear from you today. Welcome. It's an honor being with you. And I have a feeling like this is the second round. I, I was here before. I have a feeling it was me. And unfortunately, like when we're on live television, you instantly know if a mic's not going right. <laughs> yeah. Someone's like, hey, tell that guy to turn his mic back on. So we fix it. But in a podcast situation, like I'm miles away before you realize, he turned his mic off. He screwed us. <laughs> Let me tell you how nice this guy is. I think I said, I may have pushed the mute button. And you probably knew I pushed the mute button. <laughs> and you said, oh, I don't know about that. It's yeah. not on you. No. It's absolutely me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. So West Texas. Yeah, what's funny, Like I have no problem with Texas, but I, I've been in California so long, I almost forget that that was a part of my history, that it all started out in a city in the middle of nowhere, Midland, Odessa. There are two reasons why you might know Odessa. Before your time, there was a big global news story where a baby crawled into the backyard and fell into a well. Oh, and boy. like they worked round the clock to save her life. And, you know, in West Texas, the, the dirt is as hard as granite for a mile. And so they're having to do all of this extensive drilling, bringing in people from all over the world to get her out, racing against time. Oprah moved her show to Odessa, Texas for a week to cover this. And then also my high school was legendary. Uh, Bissinger, a New York Times bestselling author, moved to Odessa to live with my team uh, for a year and then wrote the book, Friday Night Lights. That also became the movie. That was also shot right there. Oh, that was while you were there. That was That's... my senior year of high school. So wow. all, all of those guys that ended up being in the featured in the book and their story told in the movie, I knew those guys. They used to beat me up on a daily basis. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
Not the beat up, but of course, the, uh, you know, uh, the story. <laughs> it, it thickened my skin, and believe me, I needed to thicken my skin a little there bit. There you go. One of your many claim to fames. It worked out. What was uh, what was your childhood like? Like, what kind of, what was your social life like? Activities? What did you like doing? I had, I mean, being a kid that at a young age, like, I always wanted to put on a show. I wanted to create. So I like was big as a little kid into puppets um, in West Texas. Didn't make me popular with the neighborhood kids, and <laughs> and there weren't many kids my age. I might have been the only kid my age in the street. All the other kids were like older, so they didn't want to play with the little guys. I remember having to make my own fun and create my own friends. That's the puppetry at, at a young age. So that's what I remember. But I never was lonely or sad. I remember having a, a fun childhood. And also, it was Texas, so and it also was a certain era where my mom would say, "I don't want to see you until the sun comes down." Yes. In the summertime, she just shoved me out the door. Um, I probably had a BB gun at the age of five, and we just wander into nowhere, like hunting rabbits. Don't worry, <laughs> I never hit one, but, <laughs> but that was my goal. I didn't get any. Aren't you glad you're from the pre-internet age where we really? Because I have a little bit of that where you get home from school, they close the front door and they say, "See you at sundown." You know, yeah, I mean, I love that my kids can can go on a phone and research anything and have this universe at their fingertips, but I hate that they're so buried in it that they forget to live a real life. How old were you when you first knew you had an inclination towards some sort of entertaining? Obviously, the puppets are, you know, a sign that, hey, maybe I, I want to put on a show. But when did it go from that to, I think it's radio or I think it's TV? What did that look like? Well, I mean, and like... At an early age, and again, it doesn't make you popular. You're in a football town. Hey, I'm a ventriloquist. <laughs> That's uh, right. My, my dad, I, later my dad was proud, but let me say he was very troubled early on. Yeah, son, are you are you ever going to sign up for the baseball team? <laughs> I'll get around to it after I finish this sock puppet, Pa. Um, I remember at the age of seven, there was, uh, long before cable and all of that, there was a show on Sunday nights, I think, called disney's sunday night movie or the wide world of disney i can't remember someone's screaming it was the wild world of disney that's watching this right now and there was a movie where a family kind of like goonies went to like oregon on a vacation and the kids discovered their dad's camera mm. and started making let's make a movie and that's the first time i thought wait wait a minute we could make a movie yeah, my dad had a camera and so i started making movies about the age of seven Seven. Which was mostly me just throwing a werewolf mask on my friends and running around with them. Hey, the, but, the interest was there. That's awesome. But that was the start. And I told my mom that I wanted to move to California and make movies because I knew at that age that that's where it happened. Yeah, sure. Good. You go for yeah, it, buddy. Good luck with that, yeah. son. <laughs> we kind of thought you'd take over the oil business, but have fun with that. So did you ever perform as a ventriloquist? Yeah. And the way that came about, I was skiing with my family. I was six years old skiing with my family for the very first time. And they put me on the top of a slope and pointed me down at the bottom and I had forgotten how to stop. And I skied and I was terrified of falling. And I think you snowplow at that age to, to stop. And I didn't do that and just kept going and skied all the way into a, a, the, the parking lot and ran into a Winnebago. Oh. Compound fracture of my leg, half body cast, um, oh and couldn't do any of the PE activities. So they shoved me in a library every day. And I read a book on ventriloquism, and that's how I learned how to do it. Wow. And so, I mean, there aren't many things that I can tell you that I do well in life, but I'm a great ventriloquist. And started doing that and just putting on shows for kids' birthday parties. And later, I entered a radio station talent show. There was a show kind of like um, You've Got Talent, America's Got Talent, that was being held by a local radio station in a mall. And it was uh, like an eight-week series where it would just narrow down to the finals, and then there would be one. 
And I ended up winning that. And I think I told you that my dad finally came around. That was the moment where he came around. Years had gone by since I started doing ventriloquism. But now when I'm like 12 and I won this thing, um, yeah. my dad said, hey, nice job. Good going, son. I love you. I'm proud of you. So did that get you into radio? Is that where you first got exposure? Yeah. So I, so I met this guy who had thankfully moved all the way to the middle of nowhere, Texas, from San Diego to start his radio career. But he wanted his radio station to sound big, and so it was a really remarkably great radio station in the middle of nowhere, and I was a fan of it. And I had lied on a job application to work at a Gap, and he came in, and I said, uh, I know who you are, uh, but I have to ask you for your ID to take this check, sir. Back in the day, we used to write checks, um, and <laughs> speak, speaking to the young millennial audience. And so he said, oh, no, that's okay. He said, I feel like I know you from somewhere. And I said, I was that little kid that did ventriloquism. He said, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, you really should think about going into radio. You'd be great at it. How old are you now? I said, I'm, I'm 15. And my manager overheard me Aww. and ended up checking up on me and fired me on the spot. He felt bad, so he ended up having me drop by the radio station once a week. He'd have me read a newspaper article onto a tape, bring the tape in. He would review it and help me. And his wow. big thing is that he wanted his station to sound like a national station so he wouldn't hire anybody that had a southern accent. And I had a, a deep, deeply committed Texas accent. <laughs> I sounded like a cross between Forrest Gump and Kermit the Frog. Okay, that's good. Like 14, <laughs> KRIG is Odessa Midland's number one hit music station. Here's Michael Jackson. How long did it take to train that out? Or it's does funny. it still he, slip out? <laughs> he worked with me. He would do like poor man's phonetics. He would write on the board, repeat after me. I like to ride my bike. And I'd say, I like to ride my bike. And he'd say, no, <laughs> no, that's not it at all. I want you to say this. And he'd write out I-E-E-E, -E -E, like L-I-E-E-K, two T-O-O-O, -O, to make sure I'm rounding out those vowels. And he'd say, say that. And he'd, I'd like to ride my Bach. And he'd say, no, you're saying this. And he'd write I-A-H, like L-A-H-K. That's what you're saying. Say this instead. And so he trained me. And for a while, I sounded like a robot. It would be like, I like <laughs> to. And then it started settling into something kind of natural a year later. And he put me on the radio. That's awesome. And that's how it started. That is a that is a, an interesting origin story. About that. <laughs> yeah. So, how you had to overcome yeah. stuff. That's something I had to overcome. That is that is something, as well as being too young and having to have friends with puppets. That's you, also it. <laughs> you know, I've told that story before, and I've heard people say, like, yeah, you know, you overcame it, an adversity. Um, and I was repeating that to someone named Huel Hauser. That name probably means nothing to you, right? Does I, it? It's not ringing a bell. It's before your time. But this is a guy that had a show, a, a statewide show here in California called California's Gold. And it was all about traveling to like various tiny cities and like little pockets of great things in California. It was a travel show that he did every week that aired statewide on PBS. Hugely successful show. He had a house in Bel Air because he owned the rights to the entire show. The worst produced show ever. I mean, <laughs> it was him and like a guy and like it was so cheap you would see the mic cable running all the way from the mic suspended in air because he didn't have enough mic cable to go, go very far to the camera. And the production value, I would swear, he just talked to camera and then he, they would hit stop and that's what made air. We'll see you next week. And, and also, here's where I'm going with this. So this guy that hosts California's Gold is from Mississippi. And he's like, 
Hi, everybody. It's Hugh Hauser. Welcome to another edition of California's Gold. I'm going to have to and, look that up. Yeah, check it out. And everything was fascinating to him. So what you're saying is that rock was here from the day you settled this town, and that's why it's called Rockland. Well, no, that's not really why it's called Rockland. But was that rock here when the town was established? Yes. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> that's amazing. And so I, I, I used to, like not make fun of him. I used to pay tribute to him in this way on TV. And one time on my birthday, they roasted me by surprising me with him in the room. Subsequently, we became friends and he had a big problem with the fact that I lost my accent, that that, I thought that was overcoming adversity. He said that, you know, he said, name one other entity or ethnicity where it suddenly becomes okay to polish what you are away from you. So yeah, Mm. he he made a very good point. I'll never Mm. forget it. Wow. So I wasn't ashamed of it, but I, I guess in a world where you want to sound standard, no matter, you want to be able to plop in and be sound the same in any, to anybody in any different region, you need to have a standard. Yeah. Well, in his honor, we're going to do the rest of the show with your accent. So your native accent. <laughs> well, yeah. no, I'm, I'm Hugh Hauser. <laughs> Trevor, thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. You got three, Kim. This is like a major studio. That's amazing. <laughs> so just remember that when you Google it later on, you're going to go, oh my gosh, he was absolutely representative. I will. And I actually am going to Google Rest that. in peace, Yule. He's a good guy. So how long were you in radio? And then I want I, I want to hear the story of transitioning to television, and we're mm-hmm. going to title it Break a Leg Kid. <laughs> Seriously, that's how it happened. So I always wanted to, I loved doing radio, had a blast doing radio, and it, and it got me to L.A., um, but I always wanted to do television. I never wanted to do TV news and never wanted to be in that environment, which makes it tough because really the only thing you can do in television at that time uh, is TV news, unless you're in L.A. or New York, you know, breaking into the, the networks and the shows. Um, but there was a guy that was creating a youth-oriented television show called Scratch um, out of San Francisco where they used to do a show called PM Magazine. Um, it's hard to describe. That That was just kind of a, a, a an entertainment show that was produced in bigger markets that was syndicated. And he was going to create a youth version of it called Scratch. So he's got that in the back of his mind that he's creating it. And... I was working radio, and in, for lack of talent, I would always create these stunts to draw attention to the show and also try to use the signal to help raise money for charity. And muscular dystrophy became a, a big charity that I was involved with because I, I had a friend that had muscular dystrophy. And so I pitched the idea, what if I do my show for a month, living 24 hours a day on a highway billboard? And they said, if you'll do it, let's do it. So I'm living there 24 hours a day, three days into it, um, about two o'clock in the morning, I, there's a horn honking and drunken yells, Hey, are you really up there? And I came out from this tent. I had a tiny little two foot tent that I would sl- slide out of like onto this plank, <laughs> kind of. And there was a two foot, yeah, exactly. It was like base camp and there, like a little two foot plank that extended from the uh, billboard. And I would stand on that and lower a bucket. And they said, we want to make a donation. So I'd lower this bucket down. And I lowered it down, and these guys yanked on the bucket while I had the other end, and it flipped me off the billboard. I did a flip and landed on my feet, 30 feet below the concrete. I was wearing high-top Jordans at the time. That may have helped me. I broke my leg, broke eight bones and two feet, had a concussion, broke a rib, cracked my shoulder. They felt bad, and uh, a now-defunct high school called Encina, its football team happened to be driving by. Not the whole team, but just some guys that were out for the night. Um, Drove by and saw me and felt bad, and so they kind of did a team up the ladder to help 
drag me back up the ladder. So I said, you guys, I have to be up there. I'll get fired because I was supposed to be wearing a safety harness and I'm, I'm sure I'll be in trouble. So they put me back on the billboard. The next day, our program director, uh, promotions director, Mike Rogers came by. He could tell something was wrong. I told him. So they, they were going to pull the plug. The American River Fire Department came over, which is now Sac Metro Fire, lifted me off the billboard, took me to the hospital, got me all put back together. And I said, Doc, is there any reason why I can't go finish this stunt out? And he said, no, just take your medication to ward off the pain. As long as you're safety harnessed in, I think you would be okay doing that. So they all agreed to it as long as that harness never came off. So they put me back on the billboard, harnessed me back up, and I sat there, and it was a slow news week, and so every TV station in town would come out, every newscast, to check on the guy that fell off the billboard. The biggest news station in town and a legendary anchor, Stan Atkinson, broke the news, and that's like the shot heard around the world. Everybody knows about it then. And when Stan said something, then AP News picked it up, and then all of a sudden the networks start picking it up. And I was live on CBS Evening News, this guy that fell off a billboard and went back up, and Matt Chan, the creator of that show Scratch, saw it and called me the moment I got down off the billboard to complete the stunt and said, hey, have you ever thought about going to the TV? Do you do anything on the radio that would translate? And I used to do a radio feature called Dateless and Desperate, and he thought that would make a great segment on TV. And then I started doing Dateless and Desperate wow. on a TV show called Scratch that was local for about a year and then became national. When did you get onto Good Day Sacramento? At what point in your career? So that came later uh, from... From doing that that kid's show, Scratch, it went national. It became a huge show. And my co-host on that is a highly regarded, multi-Emmy award-winning journalist named Lisa Ling. Have you ever heard that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so Lisa was my co-host. Her career took off first, and she was very helpful to the rest of us on the show to help us connect to her agent. And that agent, who was my agent for some time, uh, signed me. And she said, talk about manifesting. She said, all right, so what would you like to do? And I said, there's a show on Comedy Central called Short Attention Span Theater. I would love to do something like that. And she said, tell me about it. I said, well, it's hosted by these two comedians, John Stewart and Patty Rossborough. Um, and I just think I would fit in great there. I would love to be a part of that show or something like it. Two weeks later, I'm in Hawaii shooting a segment for Dateless and Desperate. And she, I get a message in my hotel room to call your agent. So I called her, and she said, how quick can you get to New York? They want to do an on-camera test of you tomorrow. And I said, I'm in Hawaii. I rushed to the airport, flew to New York, and was on camera doing an on-camera test on live TV uh, of that show. And I got the gig, so I moved to New York for a couple years. Um, and I was horrible. Like, I've done over 25,000 hours of live TV now. At that point, I had done zero, oh. and it showed. I was horrible, and uh, and my confidence just kept sinking. And keep in mind, every New York City comic wanted to be on that show, and one of the segments each day on that show, I'm interviewing a New York City comic. Oh, so I mean, it was just a. <laughs> they didn't tough. make it easy. They didn't make it easy. Like I can name names. Some of them are saints, and then some of them not so much so. Um, you said Bill Maher was pretty nice. Bill right? Maher was great. That's he and I shared cool. a dressing room together. His show. Um, politically Incorrect was a fledgling show. I mean, when I got the job on Comedy Central, Politically Correct, Incorrect had had maybe five episodes. Less than a week into it, I met Bill Maher. And yeah, he was super nice, really kind. A little germaphobic, like anything that... <laughs> like Howie we, Long status? We, <laughs> yeah, almost. We shared a makeup artist, and there are certain things. You don't want to use the same brushes on anyone, but that he wanted... Everything thrown out that had been used on me brought in like a whole makeup kit every day had to be brought in fresh for him. 
other than that, super nice guy <laughs> and uh, guarded me and championed me to an extent. That lasted a couple of years. And um, when that ended, uh, my agent had got me a job hosting a show on FX. We all know FX, but it was a brand new startup at that point. They hadn't even flipped the switch. It wasn't even on air yet. The cable station did not exist at that point. And so I waited and waited, and it got delayed by a year. I wanted, I didn't want to be starving in New York City. Sure. Um, rent at that point for me was like $2,500 a month in New York City. So the equivalent of like eight or $9,000 yeah. a month now. Oh. Um, so I didn't want to pay nine grand a month to starve in New York City. And my bosses at the radio station wanted me back. And I said, well, I'll just jump back and do that. Came back here, a couple great things happened out of it. My former intern, a guy named Ebro Darden, they paired me with him to be my co-host in the morning. And to go out, for that to be the last morning show I did on the radio is means so much to me because Ebro went on to become the yeah. number one rated radio host in New York City, uh, a gazillionaire living in, in this beautiful mansion next to Diddy's. Um, and just one of the most influential people, look him up, Ebro Darden, old man Ebro on Instagram is one of the most powerful, influential people in hip hop and R&B. So to have crossed paths with him in that way was great. Did radio for a little while and got a call, um, that they were creating this morning show that was going to be like a radio show on TV. If the late show with David Letterman was connected to a newscast, they said, that's what they wanted to do. And uh, so I wanted to do it desperately. They had already hooked Tina Makua, who's our other co-host on that morning show, who's my dearest friend to this day. Her contract was open, so she got to go immediately. I had to camp out for six months, then went over to Good Day. And I thought, yeah, I'll put in my two years and done here. I had so much fun on that show. The opportunities that I've had, the things that I got to do on that show, a 20-year run. That show was so fun to watch. I, I really, really enjoyed that show. I shared that with you. One thing that blew me away when I first met you is I was expecting maybe, you know, a different Mark to walk in than I saw on the show. Just, nope, same same energy, really? same personality. Yes, yes. So I really loved looking forward to that in the morning well, and thanks, just man. feeling that energy come off through the TV. Well, I, I, I hope I come off. Sometimes, especially on Good Day, I was a little more caustic because if you're if you're having a conversation with someone that you've just met and that conversation has the last two and a half minutes mm -hmm. and you've just jammed a mic in front of someone's <laughs> face, there's just a different way you interact with them. And sometimes I felt like I could be kind of acerbic. And, and I learned from that. But I, no. I, I think I'm a much nicer person than I came off on good day sometimes. <laughs> so you did that 20 years. 20 years. And at and what point did you start uh, producing films and get into that side of things? Well, again, I always knew that I wanted to make movies. So as quickly as I could parlay it into... No werewolf mask? This time not, at, no, not at this point. A couple key things happened. Before I came to Good Day, there was a guy that actually worked behind the scenes on the show named Joe Carnahan. And he used to swing by the radio station to ask me if I could do voiceovers for things that he was doing. So I'd jump in a booth and, and do voiceovers for him. And so we became friends. And so he was my first friend when I landed at Good Day because he was already working there. And day one, he said, hey, buddy, could you help me? I'm making a movie. Well, this was the digital age where digital filmmaking was just beginning, but it had exploded. Everybody was making a movie. And I'm like, yeah, good luck with that, Joe. But my God, did he make a wonderful movie. It was called Smoking uh, um, Blood, Guts, Bullets, and Octane. Mm, yeah. And, and he made it for like $5,000, and it looked like a 50000 I'm sorry, a $5 million movie, and it ended up winning Sundance that year. And his career has just taken off, proliferated since then. He made a movie called Smoking Aces with Alicia Keys, Common, Jason Bateman, Chris Pine, Ray Liotta, um, Common, 
and has made many movies since then. Uh, A-Team with Bradley Cooper, uh, his filmmaking career took off. And so I always had in the back of my mind, like, you know, if you're going to do it someday, you just really need to go for it. What are you waiting for? But about that time, I got invited to go to the set of a James Bond movie in, <laughs> yeah, in, in, in London. So I, I want to hear the story. <laughs> The, the, the James Bond movie? You almost killed him. I <laughs> did. I almost killed one of the Bonds. It, um, it would have been Pierce Brosnan, so it's not like we were going to lose Daniel Craig. Uh, could have been worse. No, I like Pierce Brosnan. Love uh, Pierce. But, but I went to do this stunt, and I was late to set, and so the escort they had sent me that was going to walk me into Pinewood Studios on the set um, wasn't there. And I just kind of, I don't know if it if I just walked with an air of confidence like I was supposed to be there, but nobody stopped me at all. Um, and so I'm wandering around the set, wandering around the set, and I, I'm just kind of lost, and I see departments running around doing something, and so I thought, I should probably call them and let them know I'm here. So I pick my phone out and go to hit button, and right before I hit send, I'm blindside tackled sideways. They practically kick the phone away from me like it's a gun. It turns out we were surrounded by all these pyrotechnics that were about to go off for this big flyover sequence, and I could have and likely would have set them off by the cellular frequency that I was using. Things are infinitely more protected and encrypted now, but back then it was just an open oh, signal yeah. that would have like crashing airplanes and blowing up James yeah, Bond. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so that, that kind of gave you a little behind the scenes look at well, what it was well, yeah. like to film. And, and it was just the start of something. I started getting invited to sets of movies all over the world and getting opportunity to sit down with people. And I I said, look, I'm getting this content. Um, and I don't know how long I'll be able to get it for like a local TV station. We were owned by Paramount Television at the time. And so they said, well, shoot a pilot of what that might look like. And they gave me a deal. In fact, my contract was up and part of my next contract was this development deal. So they gave me a, a, a big fund to create a big budget movie review show. So I brought in my buddy, Joe Carnahan. He and I hosted this thing called the Movie TV Program Show that was our half hour pilot. Joe's career again kept taking off, so he couldn't do it with me. Uh, and we repurposed it. It's called Market the Movies. Sold it to a network called Reels Channel, and we did that for over 380 episodes wow. without fail. Wow. 380 weeks of doing that. Wow. Over five years. That's so cool. And, and so then the opportunities got even bigger and bigger. When you talk about opportunities and taking advantage of like things that, that could end your life or, or at least end life yeah. as you know it, uh, I was working on Good Day and was starting to drink more than I should. My mom had just passed away, and I'm not using that as an excuse, but it's certainly something that was running in the background. And every week I would host charity events. And keep in mind these charities, a lot of times it's their year-end event. And as they should, they're going big, and they're letting their hair down, and, and maybe they're, they're drinking more than they typically do, and you know it's cause for celebration. Why not? The problem is I'm hosting these things sometimes twice a week, and when in Rome, I'm there going big with them. Oh, yeah. But it's not my event. It's not my one time when I know not only do I have to be up at 4 a.m. tomorrow morning, but then also I have another charity gig tomorrow night. I just started drinking more at these events I see. And then one fateful night, I was at a Christmas party charity event at Memorial Auditorium, and I had too much to drink and left. And I, by the time I got to Roseville, I knew that I shouldn't be driving I pulled over in old Roseville, was looking for my cell phone to, to see if I could find the cable to charge it so that I could get a Lyft or Uber. And suddenly, whoosh, my car was illu illuminated almost like uh, extraterrestrials were about to like, <laughs> extract me. And I realized, oh, 
Roseville PD. Oh, no. So this is how it's going to go down. And uh, fully cooperated with my arresting officer and was arrested. And uh, the the TV station, CBS at the time, um, put me on suspension till further notice. And they just kept pushing the suspension. And the uh, the courts threw the book at me, as they should have. I shouldn't have been driving. And mm-hmm. I was way over the limit. Not that even a little bit over the limit's justified. But I was, I, I'm grateful they threw the book at me because it really made me take a look at myself. Yeah. And, Changed the way I was living. I stopped drinking for some time at that mm. time and uh, just knew that I was going to have to make life adjustments at that point and really take ownership in what I was doing, what I'd become, and, and did. And then about that time, Joe called and said, buddy, now that you're no longer sucking off the teat of CBS, ready to make movies instead of talk about them. <laughs> and so he put his arm around me and brought me in. And then a mutual friend of ours, Howard Bird, that had just started producing movies. And he had a, a, a movie called... Criminal Activities with John Travolta that he had out and was in development on Mother's Day um, with Jennifer Aniston and Julia Roberts. He brought me in um, and started talking to me about producing. And we were trying to make that movie Notorious Nick, a much bigger budgeted movie. And it was kind of stalling at that time. It, It wasn't raising its funds as quickly as we had hoped. And I pitched him. I said, I've got an idea. I've got a location we can shoot at, a single location shoot, bringing down the budget infinitely. Uh, we can make a horror movie that would be phenomenal and look infinitely more expensive than it would be. And that's what became Apparition. So he and I formed a partnership then, made Apparition, and uh, ultimately funded Notorious Nick after that. Can I ask you, how did you, did you, how did you quit drinking? And did you have to modify your lifestyle at all to support a non-drinking lifestyle? What did the process look like to go from wow, I have a drinking problem too, I don't drink anymore. Yeah, I, I don't want to act like I, I know it all because I don't, and that's when you really get into trouble. They threw the book at me, and I, I'm grateful for that. Because of that, I had to go to both AA classes and then also uh, uh, counseling, in-house counseling for some time, um, followed up with just weekly meetings, um, not AA, just weekly um, counseling meetings about it. And through a combination of all of that, I just you know started to get tools and and not have a problem with it. I will say, like I haven't had the usual triggers where you can't walk into a bar or you can't be around alcohol. None of that has seemed to be a trigger for me. And keep in mind, I wasn't a daily drinker. I didn't just I didn't have to keep a blood alcohol content. I wasn't an alcohol addict, as it were. Um, I just had events where I would tend to go big and bigger, and so I just would. Go to these events knowing there was going to be alcohol around, knowing that it wasn't an option for me to have alcohol. And it worked. I blinked an eye and had crossed the five-year mark Yeah, without incident. Yeah, you had sufficient motivation to where you're just... You're That's just the other thing. Whenever you know, you're know you forced into having an, uh, an officer or two stare at you while you're peeing into a urinal... That level of humiliation <laughs> yeah. will tell you never again will I do anything that puts me in a situation where I have to do this. And I have bashful bladder to begin with. On a good day, <laughs> I can't use the bathroom in a public stall. Like yep. I have to wait till everybody's out of the bathroom or find a, an enclosed stall before there's a chance of me being able to use the bathroom. And so now I'm in a court-ordered situation where they're taking blood, blood I mean, uh, urine samples uh, at a moment's notice, like I drink Diet Coke without ice. One time I was drinking a Diet Coke at Top Golf, 
And someone saw me, I think, and called the probation officer because they knew something was up. Yeah. I got a call and she said, we want to see you immediately. So I had to leave Top Golf. I went to my probation officer. They demanded a, a urine sample immediately. Wait, someone me. like called to tell on you, like thinking you were drinking or something? I think so. Yeah, I mean, wow. she she all okay. but told me but couldn't tell me that someone had called in that I was back on the bottle. It was a Diet Coke with no ice. But because of my bashful bladder, I stayed there for like these poor <laughs> officers. I stayed there for like five hours. They would like, I'd drink some water and I would try nothing. She goes, okay, go sit down. We'll try it again in a half hour. Every half hour, they'd pull me back. And then finally, I was able to feed just enough for them to test. Then it came back clean. Um, but yeah, th that humiliation, I will never forget it. I never want to be back there and I deserved every bit of it. Well, that's a good perspective on it. And, and also, you know how Roseville PD rolls. They, uh, they are committed, right? Rose yeah. <laughs> they are yes. committed people. Yes. They are protecting and serving well. Mm -hmm. Um, they're not playing. Exactly. I'm, I'm grateful to be a Roseville resident at the time this was happening, but when they would come by to check on probation, it was like a motorcade would show up mm. to my house. The neighbors, what happened? Did something happen? No, it's just Mark's used probation yep, check. They're yep. just checking up on it. <laughs> Bashful bladder. They need help. <laughs> the other thing, nine out of ten times, I wouldn't be home because, like, I, I work twelve to eighteen hour days. So it's rare that they caught me at home. But my son, my poor son, who was in high school at the time, often wow. answered the door to <laughs> the cavalcade. You mentioned manifesting. Do you practice uh, visualization or, or think about law of attraction or manifesting any of those techniques? Is that something that you've put purpose behind i believe in it wholeheartedly i should do it more yet at the same time there's a part of me that that wonders if you if you really ask for it if you're trying to manufacture what you want in your head i wonder sometimes does it work as well but if you genuinely just want something or thinking about something organically I then like i think it comes true like that whole comedy central thing just it blows me away that i told her i wanted that show and two weeks later they reached out to her for wow. Comedy Central. Wow. Do you, do you set goals at all? Do you, how do you go about attacking new chapters in your life? And Yeah. I mean, I, I said daily goals of what I want, want to accomplish on this day okay. and then like a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. Hmm. Wow. And then also, uh, I always have a project going, a myriad of project-specific goals. Like if I'm editing a film, I want to have a rough cut done on this date. And I, I make sure that that happens. Have you ever wanted to quit in your career? Like, did it did it, something ever happen where you're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm bowing out or, hey, it's not working. Did you hit a stall point and did you have to push through that and keep like anything yeah, like that? I never wanted to quit at Comedy Central, but like I would be the first to say I was the wrong guy for that job and was met with scorn from a lot of different departments. And that's not good for you on a daily basis. And I never wanted to quit. I wanted it to get easier, but I never wanted to quit. Um, outside of that, I've been fortunate to just to have a joyful time with every endeavor every day. Um, I will say like being on live TV, doing the things that I've been able to do, um, don't ever tell them how easy and effortless it is because I don't want them to stop paying me for it. <laughs> but I practically would have done it for free. Making movies on the other side, I wish someone had told me how hard it was going to be. Mm. Like, especially if you're doing it um, smaller budget, so you're wearing many different hats, managing many different departments. Each movie almost kills me. Like, and I'm not joking. Like, I, I lost 20 pounds, and I can't lose that much weight. I lost 20 pounds making my last movie um, just wow. on the day. Once you're in post, it's a lot of work, but it's not quite as grueling. But 
every time we finish a movie, my producing partner and I say, never again. Um, not that I have any right to talk about childbirth, but much in the way that I, I have many friends that have given birth to babies who say, like, once you do it, often they go, never again. And then after a while, they can't wait to have another baby. So I'm the That's same great. way with movies. Never again. And then a, a few weeks later, when are we making our next movie? <laughs> so I, I've never really wanted to quit. There was a time in broadcasting that, and and again, I should say how grateful I am to all the great bosses and great mentors that I've had. I mean, my first boss is my best friend and my mentor to this day. And I've had many great bosses that are, were similar. But I had this one boss that just came out of nowhere, that came from a really evil place. And I wanted to, there was a time where I did want to quit. I thought, mm. yeah, I think, I think it's time to hang the hat up and walk away. How did you get through that? Grit? Uh, yeah, I, I think just grit. And uh, one of my favorite movies is Castaway. And I don't know anyone that's, who says that's their favorite movie. Uh, that's my top three. Oh, seriously? Forrest Gump, Castaway, oh. yes, 100%. Sorry, well, continue. When he's debriefing with his buddy and he goes, I just, I just waited every day to see what the tide would bring in because I knew it would bring in something to help me. That's my theory in life. When I'm at my worst, I go, let's wait and see what the tide brings in tomorrow. If you could give your younger self life advice or life advice that you wish you would have had earlier, what, what would that be? Um, find your inner confidence. Because I'm, I'm not now, nor have I ever been a, a very confident person and I wish I would have found that inner confidence. I think there are a lot of cultures and religions that are really good um, now across the board, uh, across the board, um, but especially like early on, religions were very quick to uh, to shore up young men and prepare them for adulthood and give them strength and confidence. And I think religions across the board now, um, like. They're accessible and their religions are making sure that young women are equally empowered and ready to go, as they should be. But for me, I didn't have anything like that backing me as a kid. And I wish I would have had someone or something giving me some strength and confidence. How did you find that? You, I mean, if, I, if, you, if you feel not confident now, it does not show. <laughs> so what? what did you do? I, I mean, I'm still like, I get like a trembly voice, like I'm 13 again, if I have to cold call some big studio executive, and I wish I had a little bit more confidence. Did you um, just push through it and fake it till you make it? And Yeah, just fake it till I make awesome. it. That's awesome. I can tell you, if, I, if I'm on camera doing my job, or behind the camera directing something, in the moment, I have absolute confidence, like I know what I'm doing. But then put me in a, a board meeting or in an office or in a one-on-one -on -one meeting or mm -hmm. an interview type situation or mm -hmm. even an audition. No confidence huh. at all, which wow. isn't good for this industry. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's awesome to know that someone with your success and accolades is still feeling that. And you just push through it, guys. There's success. no... Yeah, this definitely. Success. Kevin Johnson, the mayor, they had a birthday roast where people just got up and roasted me. The mayor of Sacramento <laughs> said, um, he goes, you know, my... Staff wrote a speech where they said that the city of Sacramento is lucky to have Marcus Allen. I think Marcus Allen is lucky to have the city of Sacramento because where else could someone have a mediocre career last so long? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and he nailed it. He landed it perfectly. People fell out of their seat. So what do you have any spiritual beliefs or practices these days? We talked about manifesting. You mentioned that religion can give people that confidence. Do you have any sort of belief in a higher power of religion? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I think religion and spirituality are, are key to everything we do. 
I just think it would be so lonely not to think that there was a loving God taking care of us. I think so at too. At the end of the day. How do you practice that? Do you pray? M- it, meditate? Yeah, church? Yeah, I, I, I pray and, and meditate frequently. I should go to church more often. Um, the thing about me is that I've never met a church I didn't like. And I, there was a time where I was very specific and bound and determined to find a church home. So I was trying many different churches on for size and loved them all, got something out of each and every one of them. The problem is because I migrate so much and typically on, on weekends, I'm either in New York or LA. Um, so it's hard for me to find a, a church here. Yeah. And when I do have Consistent. that off chance where I am home-based, then I'm trying a new church on for size again, yeah. which is probably why I hopped around so much. Well, you're, I don't think you're missing anything necessarily. I think the, one of the points of that is to teach people how to act and live and treat each other. And you're very kind and gracious and generous with your time. Well, so you too. I and think, when you're in a, a church, what do they say? Like, um, it's like pizza. Like even an, an average pizza is still <laughs> really good because it's pizza. <laughs> yeah. Well, what can go wrong? So I believe when kind people and like-minded people, when you're all in the same room, Aiming towards doing something good. Mm, there's a it's healing. Just, there's energy. a healing. It's there's a good a magic. feeling. I like that. Well, I feel that here today, and I guarantee that got pushed out to the audience. So thank you for coming on again and being vulnerable. And anything else you'd like to share or want no, to talk about? Before? Like, I didn't want this to be a commercial. So I'm not here to tell people to watch Amy's Effortless <laughs> yeah. on Prime Video. Amy. <laughs> it's, it's now free. Just try to try to Google Amy's bucket list and see what happens. <laughs> right. Cannes Film Festival, winner. Long after the camera shut down last time, I told you how great you are and what a gift you Thank are. Thank you. And what a gift all of that you're doing here is going to be. So keep having people. The only reason I'm here is to pitch other people to be on your show. Oh. So keep getting these great voices on your I show. I will. Thank you for the help. Peace, brother. Right on, man. Thank you.